is the time, as usual, of course, on a Thursday, uh, you get a chance to meet Mr. Stephen Vines. You do. How well do you call yourself Stephen in the paper and Steve on the radio? Is it? It's my name. I know it is, but <laughs> you like you, you sort of take things more seriously in the paper, or it's because I'm dead posh. So, what do you prefer, Stephen or Steve? I couldn't give a monkey's. No, me too. Actually, you just thought I'd bring it up. Anyway, it's been a while Peter, since we've been. I couldn't give a monkey's. Well, it's been a while. You know, I've been in the same studio is, since what is, happened yes. last time. Yes. And I guess they're outside just in case. Yes. Now, listen, a lot of things going off in this town. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I don't even know where to start, really, I suppose. Mm. Another day, another great story from the MTR, really. Well, there's another... Set, but before we get to mm. that, can I just say, Please because do. because it is official policy, that mm. at all times you should mention Greater Bay Area. Oh, sorry, yes. I, I, I did actually... It should be every second sentence. Every second sentence. I, I did, I did get actually the make the long journey to this place today right. to have an opportunity to, to say, say Greater Bay. Greater Bay Day Greater Bay. Greater Bay. Uh, uh, and, yeah. and when you're not saying Greater Bay, mm. um, you could always go Belton Road, Belton Road. <laughs> That's a weird one, isn't That's it? a good Belton one. Road. But there has, I mean, we, we'll get on to the actual yeah, news. Sure. Of, I mean, God. But <laughs> Greater Bay, I mean, but what do you reckon There's about? been a setback. There's been no. a setback. Yes, 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 yes. Bridges, uh, no? No, 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 no. Apparently, the Greater Bay um, is is um, is going to be somewhat um, thwarted by the sanction <gasps> dispute, uh, you know, the tariff dispute between mm. the US and China. Oh. And that could be a setback for the Greater Bay. Now, I mean, I don't personally believe that Greater Bay can be set back because it is the future and it is everything. Well, you know what it's going to end up as, don't you? Greater Bay. Well, <laughs> I think it's just going to be one big SAR, isn't it? I mean, that's what's really going to, to happen in the end. Well, All the borders I, are going to be open, you know, just I, one big I, SAR incorporating I think, I think the, the Macau Quarter and, the, you know... The Macau Quarter, <laughs> yes, 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 the Macau Quarter for, for sort of... That would be the sort of elegant, refined part of the uh, Greater Bay. <laughs> You've got a parrot that says that. I know, I know. I've got one at home. It's, it's, <laughs> You've been practising all week, it's, I suppose. It's called CY. <laughs> Cyclops, is another story. But but perhaps there really? is actually stuff happening. I mean, I know it's August, so stuff shouldn't be happening in August, but boy, is the brown stuff hitting the fan. So here we have the MTR Corporation, the gift that keeps giving to anybody in the news business. You remember the person in charge of it, the chairman, no less, Frederick Marr, Mm. got really fed up with reporters and he goes, if I say it's okay, it's okay." And now, ever since he said that, yet more problems have been revealed, not, of course, by the MTR. They've been revealed by the dirty, muck-raking members of the media. And if you could spit on radio, I would actually spit at that point. But anyway... There's a cup you, there. There's know. a cup, thank you so much. Teasing. That's right, we're spitting. Yes. So, I mean, what's happened now is we actually find out that not only... Do they not reveal what's ha- gone wrong? Mm. I mean, actively cover up what's gone wrong. But when they submitted a report to the government, I mean, this seems to be lost in all of this. When they submit a report to the government explaining what's gone wrong, they just lie. They've, it now re- it's now been revealed and they've admitted that the report that they sent to the administration, this was their definitive explanation of, of what's happening, was full of porkies. So this is the reason why we've now seen um, three general managers forced to resign, the operations manager forced to resign, the chief executive um, is it can't resign at the moment because he's got cups of tea to drink, but when he's finished drinking his tea, apparently, he's going he, to go. Um, but the people 
who are responsible for this mm. are still standing. Frederick Marr, who says, oh, I tried to resign twice, but I'm just far too valuable. They couldn't let me go. Frank Chen, who's the minister, that, who has, in his title, he's the responsible minister for this. His view is, well, yeah, well, when you say responsible, it doesn't, doesn't include me. I mean, there's people far lower down the chain than me. I mean, this is just breathtaking. The idea that you somehow keep firing the underlings and nobody takes responsibility at the top. There is no buck stops here. The buck doesn't stop with the so-called accountably uh, responsible um, uh, minister. It doesn't stop with the chairman of the corporation. And the explanation they give is breathtaking. Oh, it's because uh, he's got to um, find his successor. You mean the man who's cocked it up has got to find another person to cock it up? Boy! If you go back to the very beginning, though, this started off as the, you know, the story about the, the metal bars that weren't actually connected. Uh, that was platform. one of the early parts. That was one of the early parts of the story. And now every day almost there's something else developing. Tinsui Wai, Hong Hong, Taiwan, uh, Taiwan rather. Uh, I mean, it, it is the thin end of the I mean, wedge. What, 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 in other words, we now discover which uh, actually we kind of knew before, because remember, they've been through this big purge mm, before. They got rid of the, the, the chief executive, um, uh, Jay Walder, and the, the chief operating. They've both also been fired for problems on, on the great link to um, the, the express train rink. So they were they were got rid of, I think it was four years ago, um, for, for, for the same sort of thing. So what you actually now know, in case anybody has been asleep on the job, is there is a fundamental incompetence in the MTR in managing large projects. That's pretty bad. In fact, it's very bad. But worse, there is a cultural climate or a cultural atmosphere there of secrecy and dissembling so that when something goes wrong instead of putting it right their first paint over it paint over it yes you know oh well that platform doesn't meet the other end of the platform uh, get out some elastoplast and, um, and stick sinking it on at the rate of millimeters a day sounds them so it? you know i mean the the, the 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 simple fact of the matter is, and you can say this to you blue in the face, but somehow the government doesn't get it. Is yes, there are always problems in major projects. I mean, that, that that's kind of as night follows day. The question is not not that there are problems, but how you handle them. Well, at the moment they're trying to stop a Mr. Brewster from leaving the territory. That's the, the oh, this is this thing. is the chairman. The guy's got the, the month the, off. It's not the chairman. I, don't, I can't remember what his position is. He's, he's the construction company, Leighton. Yeah. So, first of all, I mean, they're dying. I have to say, this is quite clever. I mean, boy, they're not really clever about anything, but this is quite clever. They're now trying to, and I'm not absolving them from blame, they're now trying to sort of say, oh, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, it's not our fault, it's the, um, you know, the other folks, and they're not in the government. And then so, they say it's the subcontractors. Yeah, and they and, say it's the subcontractors, right. and finally they end up with Mr Wong of Wong Tai Sin, who once screwed a nail into one of the doors. He looks like a pretty prime suspect for blame, and anyway, he's 52, and he's uh, he's earning 8,000 bucks a month, so, you know, he seems like the bloke will take final responsibility for all this but seriously um then the main contractor is of course culpable in these matters because but what we don't know 
And the way that the discussion is going is what we don't know is what instructions they were given. I mean, it is entirely conceivable that they were given unrealistic fulfilment targets. It's entirely uh, conceivable that the people running the MTR, and you you can't trust a word they say now, so who knows, um, simply said when problems were reported, I don't care, we've got to get this project finished. Sounds to me as though that's actually what happened. But, you know, if you could, if they could shift all the blame to people outside of government, you can see like a rat down a hole. They would be scuttling away down there in that direction. I, I, incidentally, I have no idea. And nobody else, I think, outside the corporation has any real idea the extent of the culpability of the main contractor. I don't know that. Right. Well, of course, you know, on this subject, you know, <coughs> there's been the blame game being passed all over the place. You just mentioned the fact that, you know, contractors uh, are actually being blamed. Where do you think this is all going to end up? Because somebody somewhere is going to have to fall on this sword, aren't they? No, I think that's the you problem. Don't think so? I think that is the problem, is that people in the current system of Hong Kong governments do not accept responsibility. I mean, you know, this is the second time that the MTR has had to fire its chief executive. Of course, they don't fire them. They they, they use some weasel term. I'm not even going to dignify the airways. Golden parachute out of it. it is, you know, extended leave, nose-picking um, break, whatever it's called. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. This is the second time this has happened over a major product. The first mm. one, as we said before, was the um, Express Rail Link up to Guangzhou and beyond. So, you know, there is a fundamental problem here. One of the reasons that they don't want to replace Frederick Ma is because they choose the the people to head these parastatal organisations like the MTR from a tiny, tiny pool of politically correct people who aren't up to the job. There's no doubt about it. They are not up to the job. The pool is so small that if they get rid of one, they're worried that there's nobody else left in the pool to step into the shoes. Instead of saying, we'll get, regardless of the politics, we'll get a real professional to do this job and get a handle on it, make sure that the right questions are asked when subordinates send in reports. I mean, Frederick Marr's defence is, oh, well, they didn't tell me, they didn't tell me. Well, Maybe you didn't ask, dimwit. That's what you're supposed to do. Your job is not just to sit there and go, oh, well, I've got a report and it says here, all that sort of... You know, you've actually got to have the, the something in your head to work out what that report says. Clearly, he hasn't got it, but he's not going to be held to blame. He then reports up to the transport secretary who says, oh, you know, oh, good, morale high in the MTR, is it? Yes, it is, good, carry on. Of course, a lot of a lot of it is really down to the fact you can't pinpoint somebody. A lot of decisions made by civil services, not only here but around the world, is always done by a committee, isn't it? Because you can't fire a committee. Yes, can you? that's right, and and that's why that's why the tradition in places where this works is that one person at the top is ultimately responsible mm-hmm. and carries the can, and they know that from day one. Sure as hell, focuses the mind. If you go into a job like this and you know that whatever cock-up you make, somehow there'll be a sea of foam surrounding it, so you can't battle your way through that foam out to the other end and find out what actually is at the bottom of it, then you'll be kind of relaxed in the way you do the job. But you're quite right. I mean, you know, these people, they live and breathe committees. In fact, I think they've got committee in their DNA. (laughs) 
Uh, of course, we've been hearing a lot over the uh, past couple of years about people being collared for maladministration, you know, up on the mainland there. What do you think they would find if they ever tried to do a sweep of Hong Kong? It's a very interesting question. I, I, I mean, um, anybody who's dealt with the Hong Kong government bureaucracy usually comes out tearing out their hair. Because, you know, as, as a supplicant, and I, I now speak in some, vaguely something I know about, which is the food industry, if you deal with the food environment and hygiene department, you, 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 you finish dealing with them and you just think, my God, what a bunch of something beginning with W. They are just unbelievable. Wasters. They, wasters, yes, quite. That was the word I was groping for there. Um, uh, you, you know, I mean, they're very, very good at ticking boxes. Mm. They're very good at um, getting you to fill in forms. And when something has to happen, for example, you want to open premises and, you know, will they sign off on it? No, they keep stringing it out and stringing it out because it is in the culture of the civil service here that a decision delayed is a decision avoided, is a decision that can't be criticised. So, you know, ultimately, of course, they can't delay indefinitely, but, you know, their business is to to do that, and they couldn't give a monkey's, well, you know, how much it affects your business. How, How much of it do you think is just, and their excuse might be, oh, it's carried over from the colonial days because that's how we've done it and this is where the way we've always done it. Might be true, might be true. I mean, the, 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 the people who have a, a, a tinted um, glasses vision of, of the glories of the colonial days, I think, need to be seriously uh, reminded that it wasn't like that. But, you know, that's that's an excuse that can only last so long. Remember, the colonial days ended in 18, 1980, <laughs> 1989. We've sort of, we, we seem to be, um, last time I looked, aren't we at 2018? But but the, the golden escalator, the stairway to heaven is still yes. in place, isn't it, for That's people right. to ride on and, seniority? And, and indeed, the system is largely unchanged. Mm. I mean, they've got these so-called accountability officers who, as we said, don't actually ever get held to account but nonetheless they're called that and that's very charming and i i think it's lovely and i you know wish them well but but you know it is true that that hong kong has this system where the bureaucrats both run the bureaucracy and they run the government now in 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 a rational system the government level is run by elected officials who are accountable to the voters i mean it's not a perfect system goodness only knows but it's a better system than one where the bureaucrats are accountable to the bureaucrats. Incidentally, guess who's being brought in to fix, in inverted commas, the problems at the MTR? Oh, that's right, three retired officials. God, stone me. What about some new blood? Because that's the other thing. Because when you have this system where everybody gets, you know, gets a free ride on the escalator and the people below them look after them and and so it goes, uh, what about new blood? Why is there no new blood coming into all this? Well... One problem is the new blood that does come in works works to get itself into the old blood system. So so the way you get promoted in a bureaucracy is being a yes man, is, you know, getting your nose firmly of, of a brown hue and, and crawling up the ladder. People who are known to be innovative, known to be a bit active and have ideas, they go, oh, you know, so-and-so, he's a bit, uh, a bit lively, isn't he? Don't, don't, no, 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 no. So, you know, it, the system is self-perpetuating with pen pushers. 
Now, listen, we've got another half hour. Um, have we now? We have. Well, if you're still going to be here and they don't throw us out like they did last time. Uh, I'm going to play a little song just oh, to yeah. sort of uh, have a little bit of a tune and then uh, Sam with the news and weather check. Uh, and then we'll go straight after that. Is that all right with you? Because then we can sort of catch up. I hope up. it's not vulgar popular music. Oh, of course not. No, it's actually somebody called Miss Lee, believe it or not. Uh, she put out a song called Plastic Faces. There, and brings the time to 29 minutes to 11. Let's go back to this then, Steve. So, FCC, I mean, what happened? Well, I mean, this is, this is um, where we are in Hong Kong today with the... the real threat. What I mean is that it started off as like, well, this guy's going to off, have a bit of a chat, and then yeah, suddenly yeah. So, it's almost but, like but Saudi I'm Arabia, saying, Canada, you know. It's, yeah, I was going to say, but this is where we are, mm. in this sort of Orwellian world, where people's opinions become thought crimes. And that is, of course, exactly the Orwellian world. Now, this Andy Chan, who's the leader of the Hong Kong National Party, who I believe has as many as two dozen members... Um, so is clearly one of the prime threats to a population of 1.3 billion. I think I've got those figures right. Um, was going to give a t- well, is going to give a talk on Tuesday to the FCC about what his party believes or what he believes. One, probably the same thing. And um, uh, I know for a fact because I booked um, to attend it. But at the beginning, practically nobody was going to turn up to listen to him. But thanks to the intervention of people like, well, primarily C.Y. Leung, who obviously thinks that, you know, as a state leader, which he is now, um, that he has duties other than clinking glasses with mainland officials. He actually thinks, oh, I can get back into the race here because this is a good one. You know, I can I can be really tough. So what he demanded initially was that, that the FCC withdrew the um, invitation and then said, and of course he, he he's, he's a sort of Donald Trump. He just denies things as though you you know no one will remember. But and then said, uh, you know, and don't remember, they just pay a peppercorn rent for their premises. This is not true. I was going to say, in, in although five hundred eighty thousand uh, is really not a big stack either per month. Yeah, I know per month, but it's still a big slab of old building in central, isn't it's it? It's old building in central, but remember, and this is the crucial point. Mm. I, I, I also ought to add I, a declaration of interest. I am a former president of the FCC, so I actually do know a bit about it. Mm. Um, it's true that. <coughs> Um, you, you may say that's a cheap rent, but it, it is a commercial rent when you consider that it's a full repairing lease. And the FCC has taken its responsibilities to that building very seriously. I've seen it. And yeah, has sure. been spending a lot of money. Mm. As matters stand, I mean, as of today, they have commissioned a study by some consultants, the same people who did the, um, the, the, the central police station. How many square feet is it, by the way? Ah. Oh. You've stumped me there. I don't know. But it's a, it's a big lot. Place, it's a lot of it's a lot of real floors? estate. Two, There's three, three, floors, three floors, including right. a basement. Right. Um, but they the um, anyway they they've commissioned this. This is a very expensive operation with these people to identify how best to preserve the building. Um, a lot of money has been allocated for preservation and enhancement of the building. So you know, I mean, the FCC. Obviously, its main purpose is to be a centre for journalism, but it, it's also taking its responsibilities as a custodian of a historic building very seriously. And the relationship that the FCC has with people who are interested in that sort of thing, I mean, not, not you know, people who, who, who go around spreading wild stories like C.Y. Leung, has been very satisfactory because 
it, it is widely recognised that the FCC has been a good tenant. Actually, there is the other half of the building is is occupied by the um, what's it called the arts. Um, God, I'm having a senior moment here. Fringe. The Fringe Club. Right. Sorry, thanks. Sorry. The Fringe Club, who do in fact pay a peppercorn rent mm. and, you know, and get all the, all the renovation of the building done directly by the government. So, you know, <coughs> it, I, I mean, I know the issue is not about conservation. I know the issue is political. But I think let's just drag rather sordidly some facts into the equation. So C.Y. Leung, when he's corrected and finds out that the FCC is not paying a peppercorn rent. He doesn't, of course, know anything about this conservation business because he hasn't bothered to ask. But, I mean, remember, this is C.Y. Leung, who never lets the facts get in the way of the story. <laughs> he is the fellow who said at the end of the umbrella protest, I have irrefutable evidence, irrefutable evidence, these are his exact words, of foreign meddling directing the occupation movement. We're three years on... Has he produced Any a proof. scintilla mm. of this irrefutable evidence? Of course he hasn't, because he doesn't have it. So, you know, here he is again, blasting off. When he was told rather gently that, uh, uh, actually, they don't pay a peppercorn rent, uh, uh, they pay, you know, over, over half a million a month. He went, oh, right, right, right. Well, then they should give up their lease and put themselves out to voluntary tender. I mean, give me a break. Anyway, then he goes, he says, how can you say I'm bullying when I'm just raising the topic of whether they should be ejected from the building. I have a right, it is my human right, to raise the topic. Well, let's cut the brown stuff and get to the essence of what's happening here. The essence of what's happening here is that the Hong Kong National Party, which does um, <coughs> advocate independence for Hong Kong, is indeed dealing with a subject which is very sensitive. It just so happens, and I hate to be a pedant about it, they're not breaking any law. There's, there's nothing to stop um, people saying this. I mean, I saw some idiot write to the South China Morning Post saying, well, you know, there's all sorts of red lines. In Britain, if you criticise the monarchy, you can be put in jail. That's Since just when? That's just complete... No, I was going to say something which you shouldn't sound right. It's, it's complete <laughs> bollards, yes. <coughs> so the fact is that it is true... That, that it's a sensitive subject. It is also true that if you are going to have a place that prides itself on being a, a centre for full and fair and challengeable freedom of expression, you have people in there whose views you don't accept, some you do accept, doesn't matter. So if they'd have just let it go as it was, as you said right at the beginning, that the actual attendance would have been minimal. But the curious thing to me is, why did they give him this prominence anyway? To, you know, to speak at the FCC is not exactly your local church hall, is it? Because it's in the news. It's as simple as that. Okay. I mean, there is a proposal now to outlaw the party. It's a very high-profile profile. It's a very high-profile. It's a very high-profile business. And, you know, the FCC has this policy, which I think is a good one, because it's a journalist club, good morning, um, to make get news work, newsmakers into the building to explain themselves. And remember, when you go there, you, you, you give a speech, these are lunchtime speeches, and afterwards nobody controls what they're being asked. Now, sometimes those questions are very uncomfortable for the speakers. I imagine that... I. I, I can't predict what will happen on Tuesday, but I imagine that, that he will be subject to, to some quite challenging questioning because that's what reporters are supposed to do. We're not supposed to be 
conduits for the official thinking. I mean, there's enough of that, you know, all over the place. But a lot of people just think it's political shits doing, though, don't they? Yes, they do. They do, because they don't understand freedom of expression. Well, it, you either do or you don't believe in the basic law. Either you believe that Article 27, which says unequivocally that the, uh, um, the residents of the Hong Kong SAR shall have freedom of speech, and it goes, it specifically mentions freedom of the press and freedom of that, either you don't believe in that or you do. These are people who believe in semi-pregnancies, you know. They, they, they think that somehow the word freedom comes with, with all sorts of qualifications. Now, the main qualification in any civilised society is if this man, Andy Chan, comes to the FCC and advocates anything that is unlawful or incites people to terrorism, incites people to violence, incites racial hatred, which incidentally is not an offence in Hong Kong, bizarrely, um, he could be subject to, to the law and should be subject to the law, in my opinion. But if he's merely advocating a position which is unpopular, well, that's a very different matter. And, you know, th look at it this way. If the FCC had said, oh, well, Mr Lone, because you don't like this speaker, we'll, we'll, we'll submit a list in future of all the people we're going to invite. Well, I mean, that's obviously not going to happen. Mm. I mean, I think the eloquent, the eloquent way of solving this, elegant way is the word I'm looking for, would be for the FCC to invite CY Leung to speak and explain, I, I, I would be all in favour of this, and explain why he is taking the position that he takes. I think that would be an elegant solution. The chances of him accepting the invitation somewhere out there, you know, with with the Pope declaring that Catholicism isn't a great idea anymore. But, you know, the FCC, I know this because I've served on committees, has always had a problem in getting pro-government people or indeed government officials to turn up and explain themselves because they don't like, they like to be in controlled situations with people going, oh, very nice, very nice, Belt and Road, or whatever it is they say, um, you know. But, I mean, it would be a good idea. I, I think that, 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 you know, the FCC should tomorrow say to CY Leung, we'd love to hear your views. Come along at the day of your choosing. We'll arrange it. Now, this is obviously all very noble in, you know, in, in the cause of press freedom and things like that. But well, we live, freedom of expression. And freedom yeah. of expression. But we live in a city of, what, 3.8 million people. Possibly more. Possibly more. Now, mm -hmm. the reason I bring that up is because we've had previous events like the Umbrella Movement and have you and so forth. But the point I was trying to make here is how, how many of that 3.8 million actually give a monkeys about this? And the point being, if everything does go to the wall, aren't they going to be the people that pay the price ultimately? Well... That is the point, is it not? I mean, in any society, it's not... Instead, I think we're probably talking about 7 million, but anyway. But in, 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 did I say 3.8? I think you did. <laughs> I meant 7.8. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, in any, in any society, the number of people who are political activists is always a distinct minority. The number of people who vote is only in most societies just about... I mean, voting is the, the lowest level of participation you can have. I mean, in, in most places, when over half the population turns out for a vote, they put out the flags and go, oh, that's good. I mean, in America, it's very rarely get that level of participation in an election. So, you know, it is a fact that most people are not politically active. What's astonishing about Hong Kong, proportionate to its size, is how many people do get involved in politics, do go on demonstrations, do contribute to political causes. It, it's very much out of line with other societies. 
And the reason why all of this matters, which is the bottom line that you were referring to, is, of course, that if you don't have freedom of expression, if you have thought crime, if you get to a situation where, um, uh, you know, there is central control over, over thought, that's not bad just for the political activists. That's bad for everyone. Sure. So, you know, for, I'll give you an absolutely classic example, fortunately drawn from this week, where there are there are people been trying to demonstrate in Beijing over financial swindles. These are not natural political activists. They're people who are very effed off about having been swindled out of their money. Well, in a society where all freedom of expression is controlled, they're not allowed to demonstrate. So, you know, think carefully before abandoning this freedom. That was all I would say to those who are so keen to let this cardinal principle of Hong Kong's life slip down the street somewhere. So you think, in conclusion to this this part of uh, our chat, do you think that really uh, it was the fact that people like Cyclops and a few others sort of highlighted this uh, National Party talk that made it worse then? If you'd have just left well, it, it, made it to worse it for them, because if, right. if, if, if Andy Chan had turned up without any publicity, there, there would have been a footnote a piece of reporting in, in possibly a number of newspapers. What do you think he has to say that might be of value then? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I mean, you know, I don't happen to be somebody who agrees with him, but, you know, I go to a lot of talks at the FCC, not because I agree with the speaker, but mm. because I'm interested to <coughs> hear what they, well, hear what they have to say. I mean, I assume he, he is a provocateur. I mean, let's face it. But people here seem to be, well, when I say people, I mean, the leaders here seem to be so insecure of their position that, that any provocation is 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 taken as a threat it's it's interesting i mean the renter crowd who they had outside the fcc yesterday had a spokesman who said you know this person threatens the stability of society this is a party with a couple of dozen members well if you think that the stability of hong kong can be threatened by a couple of dozen actually rather young people who have some fairly wild ideas you must think that hong kong is sinking as we speak insecurity i mean that says a lot really if you think about it doesn't it if you you know a lot, a lot of people for example refuse to go on the radio to talk about anything uh, on the side of the government because they're insecure about either their their english style or whatever so in, in other words uh, it is actually possible to have a bit of a bias for those who actually want to fly their flag and get publicity well at the moment the only people who are really giving the, the greatest amount of publicity to the hong kong national party which would be a tiny little fringe organization mm. are officialdom in hong kong who are so bent on pushing them up the news agenda i mean honestly <coughs> you know if if it wasn't for that they would be one among many little group of schools that nobody had ever heard of and nobody was particularly bothered about. I mean, there, there was another party at one time that was advocating the return of Hong Kong to Britain. Funnily enough, that didn't get very far. I wonder why. I wonder why. It's never going to happen in a million years, obviously. No, I, I, and I, even Chris Patton said that he's not actually uh, well, in agreement with anyone, independence. I, I don't think anybody in but the he was in, government he was in, is keen on taking back Hong Kong. No, like, just, sure. just in parenthesis, yeah. Uh, but Chris Patton said that, you know, he doesn't agree with independence either, but he does agree with the freedom of speech. Yeah. Well, that, that would be awesome. rather my position as well. Mm. You don't... I mean, you, you don't have to agree. I mean, we've had... In the FCC, we've had some pretty monstrous people speaking 
on the grounds that they are in positions where they're making the news and you want to hear from them. I mean, you know, I, I've been along to, to, to events in my time as a reporter with people who I know for a fact are mass murderers. And I'm not happy to be there, but I do actually feel that, that you need to understand what's going on in their heads. Who do you reckon would be top of the weirdest that have ever been to the FCC to give a speech over the years that you can recall? Um, I think, um, <laughs> funnily enough, he's, he's back in the news again, um, was Mahathir Mohamed when he was Prime Minister, not this time round, but last time round. He, he is notoriously abrasive. And he got very agitated when he was being questioned in ways that he doesn't get questioned in Malaysia. Uh, uh, and, you know, started getting very, very shirty indeed with, with, with the audience. And it was, it was actually fascinating. OK, who else? Well, I think the other one who um, <laughs> I've got to, got to comment on, but, but, you know, because it's a bit more current, is Carrie Lam who came to a reception for diplomats at the FCC and, and was questioned and, you know, got so rattled by, by the questions um, from an RTHK reporter that, that she came out with this famous response, oh, nobody listens to English language radio anyway, so... <laughs> well, on that note, it was interesting when our headmistress... Language radio, by, example, by any chance? <laughs> when, when, she, when she said that, uh, it just so happened that the... Uh, there was a, a government promotion of uh, reading, uh, yes. <laughs> and it was a poster. I don't know if you saw this poster. Now, this is from the Central Library, by the way, who you would think may have a command of the English language, but clearly oh, that's, they that's didn't. That's the library that has books in, 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 yeah. in children's books put on reserve, for, not for their eyes. That's the one, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is another so story which mm. we must talk about one day, actually. But, uh, you know, coming back to this, um, what do you think? Do people listen to English language radio? No, I mean, what do you think of the standard of, of English? I mean, the government, you know, is way behind on on that, and there's I, a lot of know, other things. Too. I, I, I'm not, I'm not as agitated about this as, as other people are. I've uh, in my previous job when I was a full time foreign correspondent, I was travelling very extensively throughout the Asian region, and I can say, with two major exceptions, that would be Singapore and Malaysia. The, the level of English in, in practically any other Asian country that you go to is, is way below uh, the standard that it is here. I think I, I'm always surprised by the number of people who do speak English rather than the reverse. And I mean, even in, even in quite obscure places, you, you, you come across people who speak staggeringly good English. I'm, I'm, I'm not. So you think the standard here is okay? I think it's perfectly Fine. okay. Mm -hmm. I think it could be better. I think everything could well, be everything better. Could be but, better yeah, but I mean, you know, I, I I think the comparison is not with native English speakers. The comparison mm. is with other Asian countries in the region. I'm talking about primarily Southeast Asia, and um, you can go into very obscure villages in in Hong Kong, and if you don't speak a word of Cantonese, still get by. I've been to very obscure villages in, for example, Thailand really stumped but you mentioned places like thailand i mean what about the, the the english media in these countries i mean thailand how many radio stations do they have english tv stations english it's, newspapers it's very mickey mouse you reckon yeah it is it is i mean the they're, they're, they do have two english language dailies but they're they're, they're shrunken vessels I'm do you reckon they control as well well they they they're under extremely heavy pressure from the junta who who who's currently in control of 
um, the government in Thailand, I don't think it's easy for them, no. There's been a lot of talk about erosion of press freedom here. Now, of course, you pen a lot of stuff and you don't sit on the fence when you do. Uh, have mm. you ever felt any restrictions at all? <laughs> yes, <laughs> very much so. What, you mean what you wouldn't write? No, I mean, uh, uh, um, I used to, for example, write for the op-ed pages of the South China Morning Post. I, I, I'm proud to say that I'm now banned from doing that. Um, and I, I do still write for them, but about business, which which is fine. I happen to be rather interested in business. But, yeah, yes is the answer, very simply. So you, you do feel you're controlled by what you'd write? Well, no, I do feel that there is um, various forms of censorship, yes. So it's self-imposed, then? Well, I don't know if it's... I, no, I mean, I, I mean, do you impose censorship on yourself? No. Right. I mean, my view is that if I can't write what I want to write, I, I don't do that. Well, if you can, what's stopping everybody else, then? But, but I, I mean, I don't know. I actually, I don't know. So I where's mean, this erosion of press freedom? <coughs> well, the erosion of press freedom is in the mainstream media. I mean... You, you know, it's very uncomfortable for me to be sitting in RTHK and saying something nice about RTHK because it sounds uh, <clears throat> a bit, <clears throat> excuse me, a bit self-serving. But the fact of the matter is, I always think that it's remarkable that a government-owned, and remember this is a 100% government-owned station, mm. is able to carry on with the level of freedom of expression that it has. I think that's very good. I think the colleagues on the Chinese side, mm. the Chinese language side of RTHK, are under rather more pressure than on the English language side, but that, that's another story. So, yes, it is very heavy pressure. I mean, ask yourself why it is that the number of... Um, there is no such thing anymore as a mainstream English language newspaper that isn't pro-government. Sure. The, 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 the two that still survive are wholly signed up. Um, there is no such thing, ex with one exception, of, as of a highly critical anti-government publication, which is Apple Daily, on the Chinese side of the media. So, you know, I mean, things have changed quite a lot. How do you see the future, then? If you s erosion is underway already, where would we be, do you reckon, in two years or three years? I don't from know. Now? I, re I really don't know. Um, I, I, I think the point is this, is that nothing is... I know this is a cliché, but it's true. Nothing is forever. I don't know what's going to happen in China in the next two years. I don't know what's going to happen in Hong Kong in the next two years. What I do know is that people who suppress freedom of expression are on the wrong side of history because there is always this underlying, even in the most dictatorial societies. In the old Soviet Union, remember they had this whole Samizdat movement, mm. the underground uh, presses way before the age of the internet, of course with the internet all sorts of other things are possible, but you know, that survived the worst rigours of suppression of freedom of expression and ultimately failed. I mean, the, 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 the attempts to quash it ultimately failed. So I think the people who, who want to suppress freedom of expression are fundamentally on the wrong side of history and will not prevail. But they might cause a lot of damage and unseemly mess before they fail. Well, if the rate of becomes uh, yes. one big place. Where do you see the English language going then? Because you've got Macau, you've got I'd Zuhai, like to be head Central. of the Greater Bay Daily. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see you compile the crossword. <laughs> I could do the and the gardening, I think. I think a strong focus on cookery would be good. I just realised why I was a minute earlier, by the way, at 10.30, that the clock is so dark. 
You oh, can't right. actually see the, the hands very well, but I'm looking at it. I think it says six minutes to 11. Is that an agreeable oh, from uh, your view? Your, yeah, that your sounds, cock is brighter yeah, than that. Sounds about right. Right. It does, so, yes. So, so, what about the pulse and all this? Is this all still going strong? Well, the pulse is on leave at the moment. Okay. Um, uh, it's, it's coming flying back into action in mid-September, so both of our viewers will be able to watch it then. <laughs> <laughs> we, well, I mean, that's very interesting. I mean, you, you look at The Pulse, which is uh, one of RTHK's two English-language TV programmes, both of which were just summarily taken off air mm. by TVB, which is essentially now the, the, the only... Um, there are others, but it's the only real um, terrestrial TV channel which which has a popular following. I mean, what's that all about? Steve Vines, we'll leave it at that. Thank you very much indeed. It's always a pressure, pleasure, I should say. And, of course, he'll be back next Thursday, probably with Mr Whelan after my performance of the day.